Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is open up to the book of Ruth, and I'm going to invite you to be finding in your Old Testament the tiny little book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 4 is where we're going to begin in just a moment. And in fact, we'll be in Ruth for the entirety of the lesson. We're just going to kind of crank around in these four chapters as we look in the book of Ruth and as we continue our preaching theme this year on Marriage Matters. This is the first day of the week. We commonly refer to this as the Lord's Day. It is my favorite day of the week because we get to worship God, we get to be with God's people, and we get to study from God's Word. And I want to be about the business of that right now. In Ruth chapter 4, read with me if you will in verse 13. In Ruth 4 and in verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception... And she bore a son. Now, that right there is about as close as you're going to get to the Bible saying, and they lived happily ever after. That is one of the concluding statements to this love story that God saw fit to record for us and preserve for us in His Word. The book of Ruth talks about how two people found each other long before the days of eHarmony, long before the days of Match.com, even long before the days of newspaper personal ads. Two people who found each other and in the end, they had marriage, they had a family, and yes, they lived happily ever after. Now seeing that God saw fit to leave this story for us recorded in His Word, wouldn't it then be beneficial for us to see what we can learn from the story of Ruth and Boaz? This morning, that's exactly what I'd like to do. As we continue our 2020 preaching theme on marriage matters, I want to spend a little bit of time seeing what we can learn from this Old Testament couple. Lord willing, next month we'll see what we can learn from a New Testament couple. But today, I'd like to just track along in these four little chapters and let's see how these two people found true love and real happiness. I do believe that Ruth's story illustrates for us the qualities of love that are powerful and enduring, not only for those who are looking for that special someone, but even the kinds of qualities that have to be evident in a strong and godly marriage even once we found that special someone. And I want to highlight those things for us this morning. And I want to do that first of all for the benefit of folks who are searching for Mr. or Mrs. Wright. And then secondly, for the rest of us who maybe are already married, let's think about some ways in which we can enhance and strengthen our marriages. In fact, even if you're not married and you have no intentions at all of ever getting married, ever at any point in your life, you hang in here as well. Because the qualities that we'll talk about today from the book of Ruth, these are the kinds of qualities that all of God's people need to be developing in their lives as we serve Him on this earth. I think the book of Ruth gives us a really good blueprint on how to build better relationships. And I do want you to pay careful attention today. This probably is the key for the entirety of this lesson. Because I believe that Ruth and Boaz, they were able to find each other, not necessarily because they were out looking so hard. In fact, I'm going to suggest that Ruth wasn't even looking at all. No, they each found the right person, and here's the key, because both of them were being the right person. That's the key today. You find the right person 
by you being the right person. Let's just watch how that plays out in this great book. And let's start by saying a word to ladies. Ladies, what can we learn from Ruth that will help you? Well, I believe that Ruth shows us, first of all, that women, women need to be willing to do some work. I'm looking here in chapter 2. Would you find in Ruth chapter 2? What does Ruth show us very early on in this story? In Ruth chapter 2, this is verse 2 that I'm reading. In Ruth 2 and verse 2, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, that's her mother-in-law, she said, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. So Ruth set out. And she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. What a statement that Ruth is making right here at the outset, and that is, I will go to work. This whole romance, this whole love story, it begins in the field. It's not exactly the kind of place that we would expect something like that to occur. And I want you to please take notice that Ruth, she actually volunteers to do that hard work. She volunteers. She raises her hand. She says to Naomi, I want to go and do this. What she is doing here, the text tells us, she is gleaning. Do you know what gleaning is? Gleaning is some of the most difficult work that anyone can do. It meant going behind the harvesters. Some of you maybe have some experience doing some harvesting. If you grew up on a farm, maybe picking cotton or picking beans, you know the hard work that harvesting is. Well, this is even harder work. The gleaners are the ones who went behind the harvesters and they then tried to find and gather up anything that the harvesters might have missed on the first pass. That was tedious and it was back-breaking labor. Now, what would some young ladies say about that kind of work today? Some young ladies would say, well, I couldn't do that. That would mess up my hair. It would mess up my makeup. I would break a nail doing all of that kind of work. I can even see some young women even saying to their mothers or to their mothers-in-law, hey, old woman, you go out there and do that. But that's not what Ruth does. Ruth takes the initiative. She doesn't have to be coerced. Her arm doesn't have to be twisted. She's not afraid of doing some hard work and getting dirty. No, she's ready to get right to it. And that's really impressive any way that you slice it. I understand that there's some things to be said about the man working. In fact, the Bible talks about that in a number of places. And in fact, in chapter 3, we see Boaz. He's working hard as well. But let's just be right up front. Laziness... Laziness is not attractive in either sex, in men or in women. Slothful, lethargic folks who just won't do anything but sit around all day and expect to be waited on hand and foot 24-7, that's not appealing to anybody. In fact, can you hold your place here in the book of Ruth? This is the one time we will step out. Would you step out of Ruth and look in the book of Proverbs? In Proverbs chapter 31... Ladies, I'm going to guess that you are familiar with the Proverbs 31 woman. And it is interesting to me to see just how much of the Proverbs 31 woman involves some kind of work and labor. Would you just look at the work that this woman does in Proverbs 31? Look in verse 13. 
She seeks wool and flax, and she works with willing hands. Verse 14, she is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. Drop down to verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. Verse 19. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. Verse 22. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Now I do realize that that is kind of an idealized description of this virtuous woman. Probably no one person can do all of those things. Maybe there is a woman out there and God bless you if you can do all of those things. But I want you to notice from those verses that the Bible is not afraid to recommend to women a willingness to work and a willingness to work hard. But I'll tell you this, a woman who is afraid that, oh, I I might break a nail... So as a result, she never raises a finger to help anybody, but instead she expects everybody to cater to her and to serve her. That kind of woman's never going to attract the kind of person that Ruth did. Ruth attracts Boaz first and foremost because she's working. She is an industrious woman. And can I just say right here that that willingness to work, that that is something that has to continue on even in marriage. Ladies, that working, it may be inside the home. It may be outside of the home. It may actually be both of those places. But that is part of us each carrying our weight within the family unit. And Ruth provides a wonderful example of that in her life and God uses her example to say that is attractive. Well, what about Boaz? We've talked a little bit about Ruth. Let's talk a little bit about Boaz. What can we learn from Boaz? Well, as we turn back to the book of Ruth, I think we learn something that will really help men in finding the right person. Would you look in chapter 2 once again? In chapter 2, look with me in verse number 4. In Ruth chapter 2 and in verse 4, there we're told that, Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to those reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Men, can I have you to take notice right here that Boaz is a man of faith. He speaks the language of Jehovah God. He talks about the Lord in his daily conversation. And in fact, this isn't even the only place that he does that. Would you drop down in chapter 2? Look in verse 12. As he's speaking to Ruth in chapter 2 and verse 12, he says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I want you to see here that Boaz is more than just a so-so, half-hearted kind of believer. He's more than just a a mediocre Jew. He's more than just somebody who's only interested in doing the very bare minimums as a follower of the Lord. Boaz is involved in the service of God. His faith is permeating every facet of his life. It's in his speech. It's in his business dealings. Even in the response that he expects from his workers to reply to him with. When he says good morning, he talks about the Lord. And he expects that his workers, they're going to reply with something about the Lord. 
Boaz is not ashamed of his faith. He's not trying to hide that or cover that up in any kind of way. He's not too manly to be a public servant of the Lord. Boaz is a man of strong faith. And I want us to think about that this morning. Because sometimes when we emphasize that young people, it's really important that you find and you marry a Christian. We emphasize that from the pulpit. Parents, Christian parents emphasize that to their kids. Somehow, unfortunately, that seems to translate in people's ears as you need to marry somebody who's in the church of Christ. That as long as they are a member of a local congregation, as long as their name is in a local church directory, they identify as a part of that group, well then, well then that's the one because he or she is a member. Then of course what happens is, is you get married and you find out that that person, well, you come to find out that that person actually doesn't have very strong faith. They don't really have deep convictions. They're not very serious about serving the Lord. In fact, you're kind of wondering how they even get their name in the church directory in the first place. And in the end, you end up having all kinds of conflict and all kinds of marital problems because here's one person trying to be a person of strong faith, and then this other person, well, they're not very strong in faith. Listen to me, what matters most is not whether he or she is a member, but whether he or she is a true disciple, really serving the Lord like Boaz did. And I'm certainly not discounting the possibility of converting a spouse who is an unbeliever, helping them to become a Christian. That can happen. That does happen. The Bible talks about that. But what we're talking about here in this lesson is what? We're talking about being the right kind of person so that we can then attract and find the right person. Can I ask you, how can you find someone who will respect your strong spirituality, fellas, if you yourselves are not strong spiritually? How's that going to work? I knew of a couple who had severe marital problems. And as it turned out, do you know where they met? They first met in a bar. Two Christians. That's where their marriage began. That's where their relationship began, was in a bar. What in the world are two Christians doing in a bar in the first place? You can't attract someone of strong faith if you yourself are not exhibiting strong faith in your life. You want to find someone? You want to find misright men? Then you need to be like Boaz. You need to exhibit strong faith. And can I just make a quick point of application to those of us who are already married men? Do you want your wife to continue to be interested in you? So many men fail to see just how attractive to a Ruth spiritual strength really is. Do you want to see your wife have more love and more trust in you? Then talk like Boaz. Act like Boaz. Be a man of faith like Boaz. You provide the kind of spiritual leadership that God calls for men to have. Well, what about the ladies? Let's go back to the ladies. What does Ruth teach the ladies? Well, let's go back to chapter 2 again. This time I'm looking here in verse 14. 
after we've now actually had some meeting and some encounters between Ruth and Boaz, we read in chapter 2 and in verse 14, chapter 2 verse 14, that at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Well, well, what about those leftovers? What'd she do with those leftovers? Well, verse 18 goes on to tell us that she took it up and she went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. Ladies, are you paying attention to Ruth here? What Ruth is teaching us is Ruth is teaching us a lesson about being unselfish. Being unselfish. I wonder how long it had been since Ruth had had such an extravagant meal as this. You know, Ruth had been, if you study the the, the book of Ruth, you know that Ruth had been in dire financial circumstances for a long time, ever since coming to Bethlehem. But now here she finds herself sitting at the table of this well-to-do rich man. Well, what's going to be the temptation for her? The temptation for her is going to be to eat anything and everything within her sight and to go back for more. But instead, verse 14 of chapter 2 says, she set some aside. She saved some. Well, who'd she save that for? For herself? Maybe have a late night snack once I'm back home and in bed? No. No, verse 18 said that she brought that home for her mother-in-law. In the midst of all of these tough trials and circumstances that Ruth had endured, Ruth had lost her husband earlier in the book. Naomi had lost her husband earlier in the book and had lost a son as well. Ruth finally here, she has this moment of good fortune. She's been blessed. And who in that moment is she thinking about? She's not thinking about self. She's thinking about others. Does my mother-in-law have enough to eat? Can I take some for her? How can Naomi be the beneficiary of my blessings. You know, we live today in such miserably selfish times. Everybody wants what they want and they want it right now and they want it for who? They want it for their selves. Where's the spirit of Ruth in our day and time? Where is the man, or more specifically here, where is the woman who is not so self-centered and so egotistical and so stuck on herself that even in the midst of good things happening to her, she will still stop and think about others. How can I help others? That is an enormously attractive quality, ladies. And why? Well, because godly men, they understand that the essence of submission as Ephesians chapter 5 describes, is what? The essence of submission is being unselfish. Submission requires the sacrifice of self. I'm giving up my way in order to yield and to trust you. That's what submission is all about. It's hard to find sometimes someone who wants to do that submission thing in our selfish, self-centered sort of society. Yet when we look at Ruth, We see exactly what young women need to be all about. How can I serve you? What can I do to help 
you. How can I have that spirit of Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, where I'm looking out, not just for my own interest, but I'm looking out for the interests of others. You know, it's so easy to convince ourselves that this relationship, that it's designed to serve me and my needs and my desires. And that you know what, if I get married, then the job of my spouse is to make it their sole preoccupation in life to make me happy all of the time. Where's the Ruth? Where is that in the story of Ruth and where is that today? Ladies, I'll say once again. When's the last time you did something unselfish for your husband? What a little difference. In fact, what a huge difference a little bit of unselfishness can really do. Well, what else do we see in the book of Ruth? Gentlemen, let's come back to you. Did you notice there in chapter 2 and verse 14, there was a little note there in chapter 2, verse 14. And really this is the first time where we are certain that Boaz likes Ruth. Now, if you're not familiar with the customs of the time, then you probably didn't even notice it when we read it. But can we go back and catch it again? Look there in chapter 2 and in verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread. And dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her the grain. Right there. Right there it is. Boaz, a man, he passed the grain to Ruth, a woman. In that culture, a man would never serve the food to the woman. But Boaz, Boaz was different. Boaz was unlike the rest. Boaz, what he does here is Boaz extends an unconventional kindness. Boaz is seeking to be extra kind. I say all of that because too many young men today think that the way to impress a lady, the way to cause a young lady to notice him, is to do all kinds of stunts or to carry on with some kind of false bravado to put on kind of a big tough and macho act, as if somehow the way to a woman's heart is doing all kinds of, hey, look at me, look what I can do, these are the things that I can do, pay attention to me, but but not Boaz. Boaz knew that the way to a woman's heart was not by doing all kinds of stunts, by putting on some kind of bogus charm, or hey, look, I can ride my bicycle without any hands. No, no, the way to a woman's heart, Boaz knew, was through kindness and through gentleness and through generosity. I want you to please notice that Boaz really was not concerned with the social customs of the time. He wasn't concerned with what everybody else, all the other reapers and everybody else who was there at that dinner, he didn't care what everybody else thought. He wasn't worried about what everybody else might think about his unconventional kindness. He wasn't too macho to open up and to show tangibly his tender side. He wasn't so full of himself and so full of his riches that he couldn't bring himself low to show kindness and even to serve another person. Do you think Ruth is going to forget a man like that? You think she's going to go home and Naomi is going to ask her about where she got that food and Ruth is then going to say, uh, I, I don't remember the guy's name. He's kind of tall. I don't even remember his name. and I don't even really remember much about him, but he's the one who gave me this food. No. 
No, you continue on reading in chapter 2, look in verse 19. In verse 19, the text goes on to say, Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and she said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Ruth remembered Boaz. And I do believe that it was that extra special kindness that he demonstrated toward her that really just made it impossible for her to not be impressed by this man. And young men need to be reminded that some of those chivalrous acts that it's really easy to say, oh, those are outdated, those are antiquated things. But those acts of chivalry like, like opening up the door for a lady or by simply just saying, no, you go first. Or maybe by pulling up the car when it's raining outside, getting an umbrella out and covering her head. Those are relatively small gestures, but they are extremely meaningful acts of kindness nonetheless. And can I just say right here, husbands? Husbands, why is it that when we are dating, we are extra kind? I mean, we go out of our way to do the door opening thing and the you go first thing and all those other sorts of things. We do that when we're dating. But then when we get married, it seems like a lot of that kindness stuff, that extra kindness stuff, kind of just quickly gets forgotten. It gets tossed out the window. We just kind of get used to one another and then, and then we wonder why the spark has gone out in our relationship. Let me just say right here that a woman who is attracted by that kindness in the beginning, she still longs for it years, if not decades later. We need to think about that. We need to think about the role that kindness plays in being and finding the right person. Finally then, let's make an observation here that I think is evident in Ruth and Boaz, and this will be helpful for both men and women. Because as we look at this story as a whole, it is clear that both Ruth and Boaz, they are each attracted by character, and each of them are using their character to attract that other person. Now, what our world says today is that we ought to use, to attract a mate, we ought to use things like sex appeal. Let's use the raw, carnal, fleshly appeal of sexuality. Or maybe if it's not that, maybe what we ought to do is we ought to use some other kind of superficial bait to cause people to notice us. Like, hey, what kind of a car does he drive? Or, hey, how much money does he make? Or, you know, how popular is she? Who is her family? What kind of a figure does she have? It's fairly obvious that when we start looking at our world and we start looking at the ever-rising divorce rates, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that people are not choosing a mate using the right set of criteria. They're not looking for the right kinds of qualities that will produce a long-lasting relationship. Ruth and Boaz, they want something better than just a disposable, throwaway marriage. And that is exactly why each of them exhibited and each of them are looking for character, high character. And I think it is a character that just defines both of them through and through. Would you look in chapter 2? In chapter 2 and in verse 11, 
This is Boaz speaking, but Boaz answered her and he said, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, it's been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother, that is in Moab, and your native land, and you came to a people that you did not know before. What is it that Boaz is saying? He's saying, hey Ruth, I've heard about you. I heard about you long before I ever even met you. And I am saying to you that I know the kind of person that you are. I know the kind of character that you have. Boaz is interested in who she is. He's not concerned about what she looks like. In fact, would you look in chapter 3? In chapter 3, look with me in verse 11. In chapter 3 and verse 11, Boaz says once again, he says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen, they know that you are a worthy woman. That just seals it, doesn't it? That Boaz is looking for a person of character, a worthy and virtuous woman, someone who is determined to stay by her mother-in-law's side even during a time of great hardship, someone who is willing to learn about and ultimately end up adopting the faith of the one true God. In fact, in chapter 3, you read throughout chapter 3, I'm always impressed with how Ruth, she carefully follows the instructions that Naomi had given to her so that at no time, at no point along the way, anyone would think something foul, anything is amiss, anything kind of shady or or inappropriate is going on, that she was involved in some kind of a scheme to seduce Boaz into fornication or some other kind of wickedness. No, she wanted to act with propriety. And what we're looking at here is we're looking at two people who exhibit great amounts of character just constantly. They put God first. They act with integrity. They value substance over physical appearance. And as a result, they draw to themselves another like-minded individual. Someone who shares those same core values. But you mark it down. When we talk here about character... We're talking about something that you cannot fake. You can't. You can't pretend to be what you are not. You cannot put on your Ruth mask or slip on your Boaz costume and think that you're going to fool everyone. No. Character is not a sometime thing. No, character is an all-the-time thing, 24-7. In fact, I would draw your attention there to chapter 3 and verse 11 once again. Look at that passage one more time. Boaz says, all the townspeople know that you are a worthy woman. That it's apparent. It is obvious. Other people can see this. It's not just me. Other people can see this. That you have genuine character. And I really want us to think about the application of this point in marriage. Because the truth is... Outside of the Lord Himself, no one knows you. No one knows your real character like your spouse. No other person knows whether you are the real deal, whether you are truly seeking to serve and follow the Lord like your husband or like your wife. And so the question is, what does your spouse know about you? What do they know about you? Do they know the real you? 
And in fact, that what you put on and what you put on in the face of others, that that's really just a lot of pretentiousness. What do they know about you? And if there is maybe a coldness, maybe even a chill in that marriage relationship, could it be? Could it be because there is that lack of character in your life and your spouse knows that even though nobody else does? Ruth and Boaz, they are personifying this idea of finding the right person by being the right person, by being a person of character. Now, I do not mean at all to somehow insinuate by studying through these ideas in Ruth that somehow it's just real easy, it's a piece of cake to go out there and to find yourself a godly mate right in the middle of an ungodly society. No, finding the right kind of person, it's hard. It's very hard today. And so I don't want to make light of that in any sort of way. But you know, Ruth and Boaz, they help us to see. They help us to see that if you are weak spiritually, if you are unkind if you are rude, if you are selfish and self-centered, if you are filled with hypocrisy, then you may very well attract to yourself someone with the same severe character flaws. And as a result, you will know great unhappiness in that relationship. You know, people oftentimes, they don't get what they're looking for. No, instead, people get what they are. That's a tough pill to swallow. And that's why finding the right person, it must begin with being the right person. And while it may be hard to find the right one in our world today, I'm here to tell you, you will never find the right one if you aren't being the right one. Ruth and Boaz are showing us the way. And in fact, I do believe that that is one of the main reasons that God chose to record their story for us in the Bible. In fact, if you look at the very end of the story, at the end of chapter 4, there's a little genealogy recorded there. Do you know about that genealogy? In chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, in chapter 4 and in verse 18, now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab, Amenadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Do you see it there? Do you see what God was able to do with two people who were being the right person and who then came together to have the right kind of marriage? God stitched them into the lineage of the Messiah. How amazing is that? God will bless us too, I am convinced of it. If we will simply submit to Him and seek to be the right kind of men and women as we apply His wisdom and as we seek to follow His will each day. Can we pray about that? Would you pray with me please? Our dear gracious God, We come to you this morning thanking you so very much for the book of Ruth and for the example of these two good people and what we can learn from them. Father, we ask you to help each of us to develop these kinds of qualities that Ruth and Boaz exhibited in their lives so that we as well might be the right kind of people. Father, bless those who are seeking out a good and godly mate. 
And bless those of us who are married. And as we try to make our marriages even stronger and better according to your plan. Father, we're thankful for the many blessings that come from having a marriage that is centered around you and around your word. And we pray that you will help us to shine that light to the rest of the world in which we live. Father, we pray that you forgive us in whatever ways that we fall short in being the right kind of husband and wife and person that we ought to be. And we thank you most of all for Jesus that makes that forgiveness possible. And it is in his name that we pray. And amen.